0: Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Tuesday, May 4th, 2021. Well, I love God's Word, and I consider it such a privilege. Uh, to be able to spend so much time studying it and teaching it, opening it up on Sundays and doing this podcast revival from the Bible. And as we do that, as we every single day are digging in one way or another to God's word, I love seeing how relevant it is, how Every day, we never come up dry. There is always something that God is trying to say to us. And I also love how we often see kind of themes emerging and even God really putting specific things or specific thoughts on our hearts at different times to build godly character in us. And as we think about that today, one thing that I love seeing from time to time in Revival from the Bible is how certain passages go together or how what we are reading in this Bible reading program sometimes just fits so perfectly with something that we have just recently talked about on Sunday in our Sunday services at Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley. And we're going to see that today as we finish up Mark chapter five. And I want us to kind of pull out one phrase, one sentence that Jesus says here in the middle of this story where he says, do not fear, only believe. Now, this is just an incredibly powerful yet simple statement of Jesus Christ. And this is one of the places where I want us to really see how every day we should be finding revival from the Bible. And as you think about this phrase, we also want to just warn ourselves about some bad habits that we can have, especially in modern Christianity. Because just think about these five simple words again, do not fear, only believe. I, this is one of those statements that's real easy to, you know, take out of scripture, put on a card, you know, a, some kind of inspirational card, put with some, you know, great picture on Instagram, just kind of take this phrase and just put it out there and really sometimes make it mean whatever we want it to mean. Or, I mean, many people in the world that don't even really care about Jesus might find inspiration in that statement. Do not fear, only believe. And we need to be careful that we don't just kind of take this phrase and turn it into some kind of self-help motivational tool to get us out of bed on a Tuesday morning. Hey, do not fear, only believe. Well, we got to start asking ourselves, well, believe in what? Well, what is this talking about? And when we, see, when we see powerful phrases like this in the Bible, that it's easy to take out of context and make it mean whatever you want it to mean, my Contention is always this, that when we actually dig into what that phrase is actually saying and what it really does mean and what it should mean for believers, we will always leave finding it even more powerful. So as we think about these incredible words, do not fear, only believe, let's consider the context and let's consider how it should apply to your life and mine. If you remember from yesterday, we're reading and Jesus has now come back across the Sea of Galilee and a ruler of the synagogue, a man named Jairus comes and tries to get Jesus because his daughter is sick. And while he's on the way, there's this woman who has this issue that she has had for 12 years that comes and just touches the edge of Jesus's garment and she is healed immediately. But now, right as that is wrapping up, it says... In verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house, from Jairus's house, someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And then he goes on, he takes Peter and James and John with him. They go and there's all these people weeping at the house. And Jesus says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laugh at Jesus. Well, let's just say real quick here, may all of us be in the camp that doesn't laugh at Jesus when it comes down to whether or not we're going to believe Jesus's word or trust him in a time of trial. We don't want to be laughing at Jesus, but he puts them all aside and then he raises this little girl from the dead. An incredible miracle. And that is the context of this statement here. Do not fear, only believe. And notice here that Jesus is saying this to a specific Person He is saying this to Jairus, and clearly Jesus is already at this point committed to help him. He is going with Jairus. He has clearly performed another miracle, and so he is saying this as an individual encouragement to Jairus in this moment, and then he follows it up by raising Jairus's daughter from the dead. What an incredible and miraculous show of power from Jesus Christ, the Messiah, And as we think about that, we should see these words as something we should look at. But we want to be careful that we don't just take these words and kind of turn them really into just a generic, hey, don't fear, only believe, because everything's going to turn out, right? And the question I really want us to think about today is as we think through those words, do not fear, only believe, what exactly are we believing in? Because if we just kind of slap these words on any trial and basically try to make us think, well, Jesus is just going to work it out like I want him to, you know, the business deal is going to happen. This person I love is going to get better and we just want to make it mean whatever we want it to mean. uh, We're setting ourselves up for disappointment. But if we really consider what is it that I'm not fearing and what is it that I am believing in, I think there is incredible comfort to be found from these words. And what I want us to think about is what are we believing in? And I want us to direct that belief to the person and the promises of Jesus Christ. Yes, whatever trial you are in, you should be holding on to the words, do not fear, only believe. Why? Because you are trusting in the same Jesus that raised this little girl from the dead. That is the Jesus that you are trusting in. That is the Jesus that is in control of everything. And that is the same Jesus who loves you and gave himself up for you. So, whatever situation we are in, we can believe and put our trust in Jesus because he will never fail. Now, that does not mean that we will always get the outcome that we desire. But it does always mean that Jesus will not fail and he will never cease to be good and he will never cease to be God. And so whatever trial you are facing today, do not fear. Only believe in the person of Jesus Christ, your good shepherd, your great high priest, and consider that he is With you, consider that He has taught us that we can go to Him to find help in our times of need because of who He is, the person of Jesus Christ. And then let us hold on tightly to His promises. Do we have a promise that, hey, if you have a loved one that dies, Jesus is just, boom, gonna raise them from the dead? Well, I guess not immediately. We do have a promise though. Consider this. If you have a loved one who dies and is in the Lord, you do have a promise that they will be raised from the dead when Jesus Christ returns. So we might not have the exact same kind of promise or intention of Jesus that we see in this passage, but we do know the promises that he has given us in scripture. And there is so much comfort for us to find in what he has already told us. So Whatever you're facing this Tuesday, do not fear, only believe. And may that not mean just some generic, hey, it's going to be okay, things are going to work out. No, I believe in the person and the promises of Jesus Christ. And that is why I don't have to be afraid. And even that makes me think of Sunday when we talked about we don't need to be afraid because we have the truth and Jesus has A plan. Well, if you're looking for more reasons why we don't need to be afraid, let's consider today the person and the promises of Jesus Christ. Well, let's go back now to the Old Testament and we will see Judges 17 and 18. And we're getting close to the end of the book of Judges, but Judges chapter 17 is kind of where I like to say just the rails go straight off. We just get straight off the track. Uh, You know, the, the train has now not only left the station, the train has left the train tracks. We just get totally derailed here in Judges 17. And this cycle that we've seen the whole book of Judges, now we're kind of reaching the crash bottom of this cycle as we are just going to see total chaos from here to the end of the book. And it's summarized so well in Judges 17, verse six, in those days, there was no King in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we see some just crazy chaotic things in these passages. We start off with Micah who says, Oh, by the way, mom, remember that money? Yeah, sorry. I stole it and gives it back to her. And she says, she says, you know what? Let's, let's take some of that money that you gave me back that you stole from me. Let's Take some of it and make an idol. And there's one thing that stood out to me really as I read through this time. And just to illustrate it, consider uh, verse 3 there in 17. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord. And if you got the English Standard Version, you'll know that Lord there is written in all caps letters, which means that is translating the Hebrew word Yahweh, kind of the formal name of God. So she is dedicating the silver to Yahweh from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. And you start thinking, wait, yeah, dedicating it to the Lord. That sounds good, but whoa, 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 to make an idol. And you're going to see, even notice every time as you read through chapters 17 and 18, notice that the name of the Lord is still mentioned several times in these chapters. And so what you're seeing is not really a total abandonment of Yahweh in the sense that they don't even refer to him anymore or mention him or think about him, but clearly they have totally abandoned what he taught them through the law. And even, I think, just as we consider the developing and increasing moral chaos of our own age and our own society, just note that it might not always look like God being completely cast aside. But it will be God being retained, but mixed with all this idolatry and worldliness and wickedness, really. And that's what we start to see. We see a Levite that basically comes and is like, whoa, this this looks like a good gig. I can be a personal priest to this rich guy. And, And that's what it seems. It seems that Micah is very rich. And then chapter 18 tells the story of the tribe of Dan looking for a new place to live, and they find what it actually is, a pretty sweet spot way up north at the very top of Israel, and as they're going there to take it over, they go and get this priest and say, hey, instead of being a priest to one guy and his family, how about you be a priest to a whole tribe? And this Levite says, sweet, a promotion, and he takes it. And all of this is just so far from what God intended for his people through the law. And so as we see these chapters, we're going to see this chaos, but I want you to notice it's not that the Lord was completely thrown out the window, but really just the content of what he actually taught was. And unfortunately, it's so sad to see much of that being true in our own society today, where God himself and Jesus haven't necessarily been thrown out the window, just what God actually says and what Jesus actually taught has been thrown out the window And more and more, we're seeing that there is no king and everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And may this cause us even to pray for our own society that God would raise up faithful men who will teach the word and that God would bring revival to our nation and to our society. Uh, Next, let's go to Romans chapter 16. And, And this is, I love these passages. They're always interesting where we start to get a glimpse into Paul's life. And I'll just comment on this briefly as you can kind of see some of the specific encouragements and specific thanksgivings that Paul gives for various people in these 16 verses. But what I just want you to notice for starters is how many different names are mentioned in these 16 verses. That is a lot of people. And Well, what I want us to see is that Paul, even though we've seen in Romans, him writing some amazing things, statements about justification by faith, statements about the sovereignty of God, statements about the future of the nation of Israel, right? All rich things that you could spend hours uh, talking about in a theology class. It's clear that the apostle Paul did not, though, just live his life in some ivory tower thinking about theology. He clearly spent his life in the trenches with people to do the work of the ministry. And so, yes, Paul loved theology. He loved God and considering the ways of God and what God is like and what God has done. But he also loved people. And I hope we don't make a false dichotomy between those in our own societies or in our own churches where it comes down to, well, do we want to study theology or do we want to encourage people? God's calling us to really do both. He wants us to have good theology and he also wants us to serve alongside and to love people. And hopefully that's just one small thing we can see from the example of Paul. But when we work with people, one thing that we put ourselves at risk for is betrayal. And that's really what we're going to see come into focus in Psalm 55, verses 9 through 15. And we realize this pain that uh, David is experiencing in this Psalm is because he has experienced betrayal. And he's clearly, there's an enemy in his life. And he says, though, this person is not an enemy who taunts him. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house as we walked in the throng. So this person that is opposing David isn't someone that's always been his enemy or adversary. It's not his arch nemesis. It's someone that he used to consider a friend that has clearly now betrayed him. And we, many of us can know that that is one of the worst pains you can experience in this life is the pain of betrayal. And what I want you to notice though, even in the context of this Psalm is where is David taking that pain? He's bringing it to God. He is not out seeking just to accomplish vengeance himself. He is looking to God and we'll get into more of what that looks like tomorrow. So serving people can have its joys. It can also have it's hardships, but I hope in the end we can all say it is worth it. And we will continue to follow Jesus and hold on to the words, do not fear, only believe as we focus on the person and the promises of Jesus Christ. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.